Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. Five to six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Alison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. <laughs> like, what did we do? It's so slow. Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on the Deadline. Thank you again, Alison. Thank you. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you. Because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just $348. With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for. Okay, guys, uh, kind of a special episode of the Weekside Podcast on Wednesday, and one of my favorite kinds of special episodes. We've been lucky enough to have some of these before where uh, my co-host, uh, the wonderful Jenny Rentis, has a big story on SI.com, something that's super impactful um, in the NFL world and something that I think entered our collective conscious and then sort of left when, you know, COVID came and all these other things that we've been, uh, have been rightfully grabbing our attention. But um, I, I would direct you guys, it's our daily cover story. We're recording this on Wednesday at around two o'clock in the afternoon. It's called Church and Saints. How much did the Saints help the church on its sex abuse scandal? I don't know if it, you know, this is one of those things that, you know, the AP story comes out. Um, we hear some of the allegations that the Saints are providing, you know, public relations assistance or whatever it is for the Catholic Church. Um, and then it just sort of goes away. But Jenny spent all this time digging into it, produced a fantastic piece that's well worth your time um, and really kind of digs into a little bit of New Orleans as a whole. The Catholic city, their relationship to the football team. So it's wonderfully done. Um, definitely read it. And Jenny, uh, I guess my first question to you is, I don't know, what was the reporting process like for this? And for people who uh, are kind of still getting caught up here, I, I set the stage for us a little bit. Yeah, thanks, Connor. Well, thanks for the nice opening. I appreciate it. 
I think it was right around the Super Bowl. I remember being in Miami, seeing some of these headlines coming out. Obviously, the Associated Press and the New Orleans Advocate done a great job reporting on clergy sex abuse in general in the New Orleans area, but in particular then how the Saints got involved. And it's it's a sort of a strange story. I mean, you first look at it and you think, why would the Saints want any role, as one of the lawyers in the case said, why would they want any role in what's otherwise a toxic issue? And it is kind of hard to wrap your head around it. it things are a little different in New Orleans. The city's more than 40% Catholic. The church is the biggest institution in the city. The Saints are probably the second biggest. So there are these two major power players and there was a civil suit filed by a former altar boy um, alleging abuse. And in that, in the document production in that suit, there were emails between church officials and a saints official. And the lawyers who were representing the plaintiff kind of stopped in their tracks like, what is this? Why are the saints involved? And so they ended up issuing a subpoena to the saints in 2019 asking for all their communications with the archdiocese pertaining to the clergy sex abuse crisis. And the Saints produced those documents in December 2019, and the story that broke in January was the Saints were going to court to keep these emails confidential and under seal. And that is where most of them remain today. Uh, There's a couple that had been made public. They were previously marked non-confidential, so they have stayed non-confidential. But the majority of the 300-some emails between the Saints and the Archdiocese, which in itself is a significant volume of communication, remain under seal. But looking at the court records, there are definitely some clues and some indications that the saints' involvement with the Catholic Church went beyond what they had publicly acknowledged. The team has said that it provided minimal PR help specific to the release of a credibly accused clergy list in November 2018. And they said that they were contacted, that their head of PR, Greg Bensel, was pulled in by another community leader, and they identified him as federal judge Jay Zaney, who invited him to help with the PR surrounding the release of the list. But if you look at the time frame of the communications, it started months earlier. It started in July of 2018, which is before the archdiocese had even decided that it would be releasing a list, continued for months after. And there was one in one of the document exchanges, the saints replied to the subpoena, and one of the items asked for any um, emails in which Greg Bensel was given the authority to help the archdiocese. And they produced an email exchange from July 2018 between, excuse me, July 2018 between Gail Benson and Greg Bensel. And so that kind of was a, that, that, that was a red flag, I guess, of sorts, because it was so far outside of the timeline that they had publicly admitted. And if you look at how those documents are characterized in court, Uh, filings by the plaintiff's attorneys, there's an indication that they were emailing about a story that was pretty damning for the church. It was uh, this alleged abuser, George Brignac, who was uh, removed from the ministry in the 80s, had been continuing to serve as a lay minister. 
in a church in Metairie, Louisiana, which is where the Saints headquarters are. And not only that, but it would come out later that he'd been at school fairs and he'd been participating in Knights of Columbus functions. So he was still very much around children and in settings where he should not be as somebody that had multiple times been accused of inappropriately touching children. Now, he's denied allegations that he's currently uh, facing charges for first-degree rape of yet another altar boy. Um, so that was the first communication the Saints produced. And it, as the emails were cataloged in court filings, it, that article was the one that was being sent. So that was something that didn't have any relationship to this just simply PR surrounding the release of this list. Uh, it was well outside the timeline. And after a back and forth with the Saints, they did acknowledge that Benzel was in communication with the Archbishop of New Orleans during that time. But that's sort of a long explanation, Connor. But basically, at the crux of it is that's one example of how their involvement has gone beyond what they've publicly acknowledged. And so there are a lot of survivors in New Orleans who are also fans and advocates in the city who are pushing for full transparency and full release of the emails um, because they want to know what's in them. And the plaintiff's attorneys have also alleged in their court filings that the saints, it cannot be denied, they said at one court filing, that the saints had actual involvement of the creation of the pedophile list. Now, that's something that the saints have denied, but that is a pretty strong allegation. And so I think there is so much interest in what's in those emails and I think especially for survivors who have felt betrayed by the church, and now they feel betrayed by the sports team that they love. And that's why it's so important, I think, for them to be pushing for a full public accounting. Yeah, and that's, I think, what really fascinated me about it were the personal accounts. Um, you know, these are people who are fans. These are people who have had uh, parents play for the saints uh you know for god's sakes i mean i don't know take us into a little bit about um their stories that uh, maybe one that kind of touched you in particular that's kind of worth highlighting yeah mm. linda lee stonebreaker her father was steve stonebreaker he was one of the original saints when they great were in football expansion. name by the way grateful i mean he was a linebacker you know oh. so uh and you know she was uh, four and a half when she says she was abused by a priest who offered to drive her home from preschool. And she's been open about her story. Uh, she shared her story right after this credibly accused list came out. And the archdiocese was paying for her therapy at that time because she had come forward. But the priest that she says abused her was not on the list. And so that was surprising to her. And then it was another surprise about, you know, a little over a year later when she learned that the Saints, this team that she felt like she was part of the family of, um, had been involved in any capacity with related to the clergy sex abuse crisis. And for her, that felt like a betrayal because her father had given so much to the game. You know, she talked about he played linebacker for seven years, Connor. She remembers him talking about getting his bell rung. And mm -hmm. she noticed that later in life, you know, his penmanship was deteriorating. At one point, she said he was hospitalized for depression and he died by suicide in 1995, which was about a decade before the first evidence of CTE was found in a former NFL player's brain. So there was no examination, and so she can't know for sure exactly what happens, but she believes that his head injuries played a role in his death by suicide. And so I think it's 
even more difficult for her to feel like her father had given so much to this game and given, you know, his health and he'd suffered as a result of, you know, the, the physical blows of the game. And then she felt betrayed by the institution. And there, you know, there were other survivors I talked to. I mean, New Orleans, the Saints are, are such a huge institution. So some more season ticket holders uh, weren't sure if they would renew their season tickets. You know, uh, another survivor I talked to had used the Saints as kind of a therapy uh, for the PTSD that he suffered from as a result of the abuse. And now he said he's he can't really use this, the team as therapy because there's these secret things going on behind his back is, is the way he phrased it. So I think it's really personal for a lot of the people and hearing their stories just I thought it was important to share their perspective of how it affected them. People who have ties to the Saints, people who are fans of the Saints are really affected by it. And I think the team has, you know, said that they would do this again and they believe they did the right thing and they were supporting the church. And I think survivors want them to understand the other side of it, that having any role in mitigating the PR, it, it, that, that's that, that the least that they did, right? They've acknowledged that they played some role in the PR. And I think the survivors are saying, we want our perspective to be heard about how hurtful that is to us. What's scary to me after reading this is your thoughts go to, you know, every NFL city is in New Orleans in its own right, and there are important things and people and institutions in every major city, and as the power of these teams grows and the reach and, you know, their whole entire, just the heft of an NFL team um, and this unchecked authority, their ability to just accumulate all these legal resources to get everything locked away, I mean, it's just, it's scary, you you know, to think that, you know, this could be not that I'm not accusing any other team of doing something like this, but that there are teams in 32 cities that have different power structures, people, places, things that, you know, I don't know. I just think that this sets a bad precedent. And I'm glad that, you know, people are looking at it now and saying, oh, yeah, no, we, we don't want this to be happening somewhere else, too. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point, Connor, and I think you're right. As we've seen the authority and power of teams grow, and you start to think about other cities, like where could this have happened or what institutions are teams in other cities aligned with. I think the relationship between the Saints and the Catholic Church is probably unique, but in other cities there are teams that are closely aligned with other organizations. And what kind of authority and power are they wielding for things that are well outside their purview? You know, I spoke to the brother of a, a survivor and he said, you know, why would a sports franchise be using its resources, you know, in any capacity related to the release of a pedophile list? And I think that's really well said. And mm-hmm. it's it's certainly kind of hard to understand, especially if you don't live in New Orleans. I think it's hard to understand the closeness between those two institutions. But even those who live there and live it, it's sort of... Um, you wouldn't think that a sports team would be in the middle of this. And I think that's also why survivors have kind of asked for the NFL to be on top of this and looking into it. The NFL has not begun an investigation. It seems like this has kind of been the NFL's approach in the last year or two is to let the judicial process play out and then decide if they need to conduct an investigation. So they said at this point, they're just monitoring, but, um, 
But yeah, I think your point is spot on, Connor. It seems like a thing that right now, as in this time with sports franchises wielding so much authority that they could use either for good or for for something that a lot of people see as not good. And they have d- difficult choices to make. It's a great point that, that, that got brought up by the survivor that you talked to. And it, it highlights kind of another version of the hypocrisy that, you know, these teams are so quick and uh, eager to say that they're football organizations and we're, we're in the sports realm. We don't, we don't involve ourselves in politics or anything like that. And it's their way of blanket getting out of having to address any real concerns in any way, shape or form. And yet, you know, here's, here's the New Orleans Saints, uh, you know, providing uh, PR help to the Catholic Church. I mean, you know, why? It's just mind-blowing to me that these teams use this veil uh, as of sports as, as a protection when they obviously have interests elsewhere. You know, it's just, uh, it, it, it's really sort of troubling when you, when you think about it. I agree, Connor. And I think that's been a large part of our conversations the last couple weeks is when are teams using their work in the community or their work towards social justice or when are they using any of these things just for show right and i think that's a dangerous territory that we're in now and we've talked about it with kaepernick you know is if a team brings him in for a workout or uh, you know has a conversation with him is that just for show i think we'll get to that a little bit later uh in this show but yeah i think that's it's really um i don't know i think it's a really interesting conversation to have because One thing that I'll note, too, is when I was going back and forth with the Saints, I was in touch with a lawyer that is representing the team um, in these legal matters. And the letter that I, you know, I'd sent specific questions for comment, some of which they did not reply to, citing that the emails are under seal and the judge's instructions to not talk about the contents. But they did add at the end of the letter um, I believe it was something to the effect of, I can't tell you what to write, but you might notice that Gail Benson has done X, Y, and Z with the social justice initiative that they announced a couple weeks ago. And um, I, I just thought it was a little bit strange to include that, right? I'm reaching out with specific questions for comments, and they're basically saying, here's this other thing. And and in that moment, it really did feel like a showpiece, Connor, you know? Sure. Look at this work we're doing over here. So how could you be questioning us about X, Y, and Z? Um, so I think that goes to your point. Yeah, and... You know, I, I, I would hope and, you know, it's one of those things where you're going to see what you want to see if you're a diehard Saints fan, just like if you're whatever. And I'm not equating these two things, but a diehard Trump supporter or a diehard whatever. I mean, you know, you're going to see whatever you're going to want to see out of these times uh, in this place. But like, I hope people can read the piece and uh, sort of digest it Um with a foot on both sides of the line, at least. I mean, do yourself that favor and at least give yourself a chance to look at it and wonder, hey, would I be uncomfortable if my favorite team was doing something like this? Um, is there somebody that I know that's been affected by this? You know, and and really sort of just give yourself a chance um, 
to digest it. I don't know. Um, anything that you think uh, is important to add here? Because I, I feel like, you know, we could do an hour long uh, episode on this story alone. It was so good. Um, I don't know. Is there anything else that you think that um, warrants mentioning um, for our readers who I'm sure are our listeners who I'm sure are already hooked, by the way? No, I think this, that these are good questions, Connor. Always a good dialogue with you. It, it's interesting because you spend time kind of crafting the story and you want to make sure that everything is um, kind of exactly as it's presented in court documents. So sometimes it's difficult to talk on the fly about it. You know, I remember just kind of cross-referencing PDFs and making sure that everything is presented exactly how it is in the court filings. But I think your your questions are were really good and kind of speak to like the the broader questions that this raises, like what is your sports team involved in? How are they wielding their power? And while this topic is very different from this reckoning that America is having over race right now, a much delayed and belated reckoning with race, um, I think it gets to some of the similar questions about how sports leagues influence the dialogue on certain issues. And as you said, how they're wielding their power. Yeah. Well, uh, again, everybody who listens, it was our uh, SI Daily Cover on Wednesday. Um, You can find them in the Daily Cover archives. I'm sure it will be on SI.com for uh, at least a couple more days if you just want to find it there. If not, we will include the link um, in our show description. So um, be sure to check that out. Excellent, excellent story. Hey guys, LeVar Arrington here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer. Making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck. Like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design. The Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max Hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than ever before. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma, delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style. The new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. And with new available tech, this legendary truck is getting even better. And when you buy a Toyota truck, you buy Toyota dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit Visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Smart journalism. Fascinating topics. Words that describe CNN's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. We are revisiting the public school culture wars. What have we learned from the kids who fought against book bans? We really started the club to get students reading these books. Students have an opinion in this fight, too. How has the war over books sparked a backlash to the so-called parents' rights movement? It's not okay what they're doing, and they're being watched. Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish. Streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. 
Welcome, Allison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. <laughs> Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Allison. Thank you. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is gonna be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your life sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. There's really no easy way to pivot into this, but um, uh, we do have two football topics that are sort of interconnected a little bit, um, sort of a yin and yang of uh, of the day's news that I think I wanted to get to. So um I kind of want Jenny to read topic number one. So, uh, Jenny, why don't you uh, lead us off here? All right. Sounds good, Connor. Anthony Lynn said he was unhappy that Kaepernick was out of the league and that he fit the style of quarterback the Chargers were looking for, but has not spoken to him and has no plans to sign him. Enter the long parade of people who, after an emotional week that seemed to generate real progress, are interested in going back to the comfortable world where they have it both ways. Is this the near future for Kaepernick in the NFL? Totally. It is. It is, right? I mean, this is it. It's gonna, it's gonna be, uh, you know, the Pete Carrolls of the world, and I I guess Anthony Lynn, and people are gonna come out and they're gonna say, you know, uh, we're inspired by Colin's message and blah blah blah, and then you're gonna ask them, okay, well, why don't you sign him? And they're gonna say, well, same crap that they said before for the last four years, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, you couldn't have. This is what this is to tie back into the other thing. Why would anybody want NFL PR help on anything? I mean, these guys had four years to come up with a better excuse than he doesn't fit on our roster right now, and they haven't found anything. And it's just like it's remarkable to me that this is, you know, okay, you can say that they have Tyrod Taylor and that they drafted somebody. That's fine. You know, I I think that. the explanation is completely reasonable, but don't, you know, I, I think that going back to the old excuse is so tired here, and it's just the first and what I'm sure is a long line, because if Anthony Lynn makes it okay to say that, then I think a lot of other coaches just file right behind him, and they use the same exact excuse. Yeah, it's, I think you're topic is perfectly written Connor because it really is that is the concern is are we just kind of regressing back to that it seemed like teams are finally comfortable or at least you know the commissioner was saying black lives matter and teams are finally comfortable mentioning racism and encouraging their players to go to protests and supporting them and those things are all like great you know fantastic progress and making Juneteenth a company holiday like those are all really important steps but the uh, level of uncomfortableness that people have talking about Kaepernick is still incredibly unsettling. And I think there hasn't been any kind of atonement to this point or any kind of acknowledgement of what happened the last four years. And I'm just wondering if that will ever come, right? I'm wondering if teams will ever say, you know, we messed up or this happened or this was what really was going on that we didn't say at the time and I'm sorry about it. 
I would like to see that, Connor. You know, I was on a, a call a couple, uh, I guess it was last week. It was the Vikings had a social justice conference call, and they had several players who shared fantastic perspectives. Um, Amir Abdullah had a, uh, I believe he said his father and an aunt who marched in Selma. I mean, there was a lot of oh, really wow. great, great conversation and um, a lot of really, I, I thought, powerful perspectives shared. But uh, Rick Spielman was asked about Kaepernick and he said he didn't want to get into it. He wanted to focus on off the field stuff instead of whether he would consider signing him. And Jared Bell from USA Today said, isn't this conversation happening in large part because of Kaepernick? You can't separate the two. Um, but there was still this degree of uncomfortableness. And I kind of sense that, you know, with Anthony Lynn's comments, you're kind of having it both ways a little bit, right? You're saying that we would, of course, consider him, but no, no steps have been taken. And I think we really need to, I think we need to see more and expect more out of teams, you know, um, if they aren't bringing him in for a workout, tell us why, or tell us what happened in the past, or just have a little bit more transparency. You know what surprises me even, and I think would generally pacify like half of people who are upset about this and I'm not saying that this is the right answer or yeah, or anything like that but a coach can't even give a good schematic reason why they aren't going to sign Colin Kaepernick like so for example maybe you have Pete Carroll you have Anthony Lynn you have someone like that like why couldn't you just come out and say okay well we do x y and z on offense and he is more of a uh, of a z y x player and you know like they can't even do that because the explanation doesn't exist or they haven't put enough time and thought and effort into it to even come up with something that would make you know people at least halfway satisfied with an answer instead it's just well uh you know uh i would let's get back to uh you know uh, the players on the team i only talk about players on the roster and okay well why won't you put them on the roster well it's a question for somebody else and you know it's like god the uh, the how little amount of time has been put into an issue that has been one of the most significant uh, you know, pushes for justice and equality in the league over the last four years is phenomenal to me. It's just, it seems like nobody has any interest in ever becoming comfortable with this in any way, shape, or form. That's absolutely right, Connor. And, you know, I see a lot of comments, people saying, why wasn't the media on this before? Or why weren't the questions being asked? And the reality was they were. We yeah. were just being shut down when we tried to ask the questions. Yeah. So, I mean, I remember going to an owner's meeting, I think I mentioned May 2017, I was trying to pull owners on if they would bring Kaepernick in for a workout. And if they would shrink back from you, they'd pretend they didn't hear you, you know, look at you and you start to ask your question and they walk away. Like, this is what... The, the NFL has has done everything they can to stamp out the conversation. And that is n nothing to do with the efforts of media. There have been a lot of media that have been covering the NFL over the last several years that have been trying to ask these questions. And I think it's been really difficult to get straight answers. And I think it would be really disappointing if that continued.
I remember I was working on some, uh, you know, banal trend piece or whatever at the Combine two or three years ago, and I pulled aside a PR person, which you do at the Combine, they, um, you know, because they'll stand with the coaches who do their um, um, press conference, and then, uh, you know, you ask the PR person if you can grab them to the side for a quick question that's kind of hyper-specific, um, and, you know, you don't want to waste anybody else's time in the podium setting, and that was the first question I got back, was, well, was this about Colin Kaepernick? And it, and it wasn't, but, like, the fear... Of even of even wow. annoying somebody about a question, and, and I'm putting annoying in air quotes here. Um, somebody about a question about Colin Kaepernick is just—it's absurd to me. Why do we even have public relations people if the biggest public relations issue of the last? 400 years you know has <laughs> isn't going to be comfortably addressed at all it's like my god what what is everyone so uh, afraid of it's just ridiculous to me yeah connor that's a it's a really good example and i think it's uh, like i said it would be a shame if we didn't see some kind of shift in the dialogue and uh, you know, I don't want to hear things like, well, we don't know if he's interested. He said he's interested, right? You know, he he said he's interested and you don't know if he's not un- until you've made that call. So don't make the assumptions, right? So, um, and maybe, maybe we'll see tangible action, but I think we've all been in settings like maybe listeners can relate, you know, maybe you're in your workplace and you're talking about, we need to do better with diversity and inclusion hiring. I mean, we've been open. Sports Illustrated needs to do better, but it's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing for the people who are in management positions to follow through and put actions into effect that really address the problem. And so I think it's one thing to put out statements right now and to take steps that are a little bit easier to take and aren't at any great risk. I mean, at this point, if you don't make Juneteenth a national holiday, you will get pushed back. And I think it's an important step to make and it's important to commemorate that day. And I'm excited to see that. But I think there's a lot of steps that aren't being made because they might meet some resistance or you don't know what the pushback will be. And I really, I was just, I'm hoping that this period can push through that, Connor. That's not what we're trying to do is to make people just lean into anything that, you know, it might make you a little bit uncomfortable or it might create some kind of discomfort, but it's the right thing to do. Yeah, I I totally agree. Um, And uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. uh, I don't know what's next here, um, but, you know, (laughs) it it just blows my mind that, you know, people will say, well, we don't know if he's in shape. Okay, well, he did a video. It's on YouTube. And I would guess that you could learn more from that than, you know, how did we know Jay Cutler was in shape? How did, you know, Bruce Arians said four years ago that he almost called Kurt Warner to uh, to come out of retirement when he was like 46 years old to uh, um, to play quarterback when Carson Palmer got hurt. You know, I did we know he was in shape when before we made the call? No, but make the call. Just have a conversation, you know? I mean, this guy wants to talk to you. Um, I, it's, it's un, and, and if you're worried about how it's going to be spun or whether you're going to look like a bad person or whatever it is, that says more about you and your lack of knowledge and understanding about what's going on. I mean, if you're truly not, you know, complicit in this and are curious about how he's doing, everybody has his phone number in the NFL. Give him a call. You know, it, it doesn't make any sense to me, but, um, all right, we're going to, um, after I cough this uh, strawberry seed on my throat, we're going to read the second topic. Made a smoothie right before the show, Jenny. Oh, so. yeah. You've got to, these days, if you cough, you have to clarify. You know, we talked the other day about my allergies and like going in the park right now. 
there are times when I have coughing fits because of pollen and I'm so embarrassed. So I like try to like <laughs> run and hide like in a spot in the woods where no one can see me as I'm like coughing because there's just like, you know, people are going to scatter. So in case you need proof, it's this is strictly berry. Related. I can see uh, the seeds. Yeah. I want our okay. listeners to know. Okay. Yeah, it was blueberries and strawberries um, oh, and yum. banana and yogurt. But I've had a, a problem with the frozen berries in particular and you have to use the ice crushing feature first before you use the blending feature but um does a lot of damage to the blade you know so oh, okay. I'm, I'm a little I, bit worried about that you know i had a new berry frozen berry blend that had raspberries in it and i had a big seed problem with the raspberries mm. if i find strawberries are generally okay for me but the raspberry seeds were just not they were not mixing in well a, a real a real seedy situation we find ourselves in jenny <laughs> Um, okay, second topic. So this is the reverse side of this from contorting to make excuses for why we haven't signed this guy to contorting to explain why this guy is still on the roster. And it's not that extreme, but you know, uh, Bears offensive coordinator Bill Lazor said that Mitch Trubisky has plenty of good football left in him at this juncture. A few, uh, at this juncture that we're at, a few nebulous weeks before the start of training camp, do we have any degree of confidence that Mitch Trubisky will hold on to this job at all? Let's assume that the timeline goes uh, somewhat according to plan, and at the end of July or the beginning of August, we have some sort of social distant on-field workouts. Uh, how long before Mitch Trubisky is no longer considered QB1 in Chicago? Great question, Connor. I think I picked Nick Foles as my favorite offseason move. And then some people said, why did you still have the Bears so low in your power rankings? And I, mm. you know, okay, maybe I'm, maybe here I am playing both sides of the fence. I don't know. Um, I, yeah, Connor, I don't have high hopes at this juncture for Mitch Trubisky. I don't, I don't think we have much longer to see him as a Bears quarterback. You know what does affect me, and again, I mean, I feel weird saying this right after we're talking to a player who's kind of unofficially blackballed from the league and is good enough to bring his team to the Super Bowl, but the flip side of this is someone like Mitch who, and trust me, how bad I feel for Mitch is not anywhere near as equal as uh, as Collins, so please don't get that twisted, is it does seem to be like a crisis of confidence, and we've mm-hmm. talked in the past about the NFL's inability to handle anything that isn't physical or schematic or any of this. And, you know, here's a guy that, you know, talked about how difficult it was to see, like, bad news on TV and I think about himself. And I think that we can all relate to that in our personal lives, you know, how difficult it is when we're struggling with something. And I do feel bad that I think that this was probably at one point a really promising and talented individual. And while a lot of people do make jokes about Nick Foles now, and thank God we have somebody that's going to be able to blah, blah, blah. And I'm sure I'm guilty of the same thing. There is an element of me that does feel bad about sort of the meat grinder here and he's the perfect example of somebody who just kind of gets tossed in and and shredded out and you know everyone has all these ridiculous sayings like only the strong survive and blah 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 but strength is dependent i think uh, too on you know how people uh, handle and coach them and you know i don't know it's uh it's just a bummer to see another kind of player going through something like this i guess i should say Yeah, I think then that's really the human side of it, Connor. And I'm glad you brought up that perspective because he has become a bit of a punchline. 
And I think it was r- right what you referenced when there were stories coming out that they were turning TVs off at the building and, you know, he was staying off social media. And then I think when those kind of thoughts start to creep in, I think it's hard to get out of that spiral. Um, and, you know, listen, we're no strangers to self-doubt. We <laughs> named this the weak side podcast because we're like, we're definitely not the strong side. So we're going to lean into being the weak side podcast. So this is something that we relate to. And I think you understand when you have a personality like that, how important environment is and support. I think if I didn't have Connor at this job, I think I would really uh, question myself a lot more than I already do. So I think, <laughs> and that's not to say he doesn't have a great support system with the bears, but you know, what, what was it? He had a zoom call recently and he had the man in the arena quote behind him. And people mm-hmm. were pointing out, you know, with the line about, uh, I'm going to misquote a Connor. The first line of that is, is what d- doubters, uh, really, really should have thought about this ahead of time. But, um, I'm going to look it up. It, Keep trying to remember okay. it. All right. Um, <laughs> So it's clear that this is a constant thing that he's working through. Um, And I think that is a difficult place to be as an NFL quarterback. And we made the Mark Sanchez analogy before, but I I really think it's fitting, Connor. It's, It's really similar. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error or shortcoming and so on and so on. Kind of a sneaky bang at journalists there, uh, football journalists in particular. Yeah, Yeah. definitely, definitely really, really hitting us there. But I also wonder, too, how this what would have been a critical offseason for Trubisky has been affected, right? Has it been worse or better to not be around the team and the team environment? And I would say it's probably worse to be away on your own, feeling like you've got to prove something to your teammates, but you can't be around them to do so. I don't know how you see it. Yeah, no, I think it would be worse. And, you know, I'm just thinking about me if it was myself, but... Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think I've, I think I've sneaky turned this into a pro, uh, Mitch Trubisky podcast. I actually, I've, I've just, I've really seen the pivot happen in the last two minutes, Connor. Let's I don't lean know. into it. <laughs> because you know what? I think that there is a little of all of us in, in Mitch. I think that we've all like, uh, you know, we've all played in the big leagues of life in some way, shape or form. We've all fallen down and gotten pointed at and and laughed at so i don't know i'm i'm hoping that mitch uh gets back up because it does get better that, i think that's important to mention to everybody listening to the weak side podcast is it always gets better so you know maybe it'll get better for mitch trubisky too i don't know um all right that's a good take connor it's good yeah um but that will not be my oracle okay um, i was that, wondering uh, if you we were gonna pivot into something like if that was your message for the oracle but that everything gets better yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, thought it, I thought it might be i did get some good advice about that recently that i do think that uh you know uh, maybe we're just in that in that period of transition and change and that there's no growth without um change and i, I do think that there's something to that so maybe we uh, you know good good for mitch trubisky i think that's going to be a, a good thing so I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna tease uh, one of my stories coming up here. Ooh, um, yes. 
Yes. Uh, so that'll be out on uh, Friday uh, called First Time. People who are uh, not rookies who are going to make their first Pro Bowl. Um, and so I'm going to put a, uh, a little uh, nugget of my uh, prediction in here. And I'm going to say that the Seattle Seahawks will have two Pro Bowl cornerbacks this year. Um, so Shaquille Griffin will make his second straight Pro Bowl and Quinton Dunbar um, the veteran who they uh, acquired from Washington this offseason, I think, will blossom in his new uh, environment, and he will make a Pro Bowl. So it'll be like a little Legion of Boom Jr. times two, I think, and uh, sort of a weird segue. It has nothing to do with what we were talking about, but I like the idea. So it's an oracle, it's a prediction, and uh, there's uh, two of your NFC cornerbacks for the 2021 Pro Bowl. That's great. It's a very easy one to check a couple months down the line. And there was some Pro Bowl news today anyway that it's going to be in Vegas, So, which people seem to have a very strong reaction to, evidently. So here's my take on this, and I, I do write a little bit about this too. I was, I was lucky enough to cover the last Pro Bowl in Hawaii um, when I worked for the NFL, and then the first Pro Bowl in Orlando. Rough and, assignment, Hawaii. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. It was... Oh, uh, I did not stay at Turtle Bay where the players were. Um, I did have access to go to Turtle Bay because we worked for the league. So we would get to go there and we would get to hang out there at night. And uh, my goodness, uh, I, I we got a gym pass there the one day. Here's, oh, a, wow. here's, a fun, here's a funny story. So the gym at Turtle Bay Resort is just overlooking the Pacific Ocean. Yeah, Hawaii, Pacific Ocean. Hello. Right. And, uh, you know, so you're just on this overhang over a cliff and you're running on a treadmill. It's like the waves are crashing in from the Pacific wow. Ocean. So scenic. And this is back, um, well, whenever the last one would have been, 2015, 2014, something like that. Interesting story, though. So uh, me and a friend of mine from the NFL are, uh, are working out on the treadmill. And to the left of us, there's a huge... Um, player party going on it's like two o'clock in the afternoon three o'clock in the afternoon um maybe even a little bit later because the sun started to go down a little bit everybody's uh, drinking enjoying themselves you know it's massive hot tub that scene that you would see in like um you know uh, any given sunday like it's exactly like that you know all their players and their friends and their wives and everybody's having a good time and music playing and everything like that and there's three people in the gym uh at turtle bay there's me uh there's my friend and then we look down and just grinding out a workout is teddy bridgewater coming off of his first uh pro bowl this is before he had that horrible knee injury and i always think about that when wow. like literally everybody else is having the time of their lives in hawaii and, and and i'm sure that all these other guys did get their workouts and i'm not saying that he was the only one that was working out that day um but but I was thinking about that uh, recently, and there's Teddy just like, you know, grinding it out at the gym, getting his work done, no trainer or anything like that, just, you know, uh, being Teddy. I always thought that was a cool thing. I, was th I thought about that a lot. But um, Wow, that's a great story, yeah. So my take on the Pro Bowl moving to Las Vegas is that there's not, like, it, that was a nice trip. Hawaii for the players and it is a time to decompress because even some of the veterans get their own villas at the Pro Bowl some of them stay in the resort and then there's villas and so it really is a time for you to spend time with your family and you see a lot of that um, guys bringing their kids to practice um, all that and it's very secluded and so you don't have to worry about anybody outside kind of coming into your little area and you can have a good time so that was the advantage of the Pro Bowl in Hawaii 
in Orlando, the advantage was still, I think they stayed at the Omni um, Hotel, so like a nice hotel with a resort, but then your family gets unfettered access to Disney World, right? And you get special treatment at Disney World. Um, So a nice, again, nice kind of vacation, family-friendly thing because players, some players say they like to reconnect with their families after the season. Perfect. Vegas offers none of those things. (laughs) It's not secluded. It's not family-friendly. I think it would be kind of the opposite if you're a player and you've been on the road all season like let's go to las vegas um i don't know i think that it and and i think that it's going to kill a little bit of the game because i think that part of the relaxed vibe of pro bowl week always comes from the fact that hey these guys actually do get to be human for a little bit they get to reconnect with their kids their families you know all that kind of stuff i don't know how much that happens in las vegas i have some concerns there (laughs) all right that's the best take i've heard against the pro bowl being in vegas Connor. (laughs) yeah i think that makes a ton of sense took a while to get there but hopefully everyone enjoyed my teddy bridgewater story. loved the teddy bridgewater story i think that's really awesome i'm glad i hadn't heard that i'm glad you shared it um okay so what's our ventus consensus for this week but by the way i already have one and i tweeted it and you can see it and the ventus consensus was the saint story that we talked about at the top of the show was a banger so anyway Connor, you're such a great teammate. Um, I appreciate it. All right. So I just have a little bit of, this might take a little while to develop as well, but we've obviously been talking about a month ago, the NFL was considering all these different ideas to try to guess, basically force teams to widen their net for hiring head coaches and to consider people other than people that look like them uh, because there's such a dearth of black head coaches in a league that's predominantly black, which is a huge problem and has been for a while and the league has taken steps back. So this example came up recently of exactly why black head coaches feel like they're token interviews at times, right? Because of the Rooney rule. The 2016 Titans head coach search, and the reason this came up recently was because on the Ross Tucker football podcast, Mike Mularkey, who was hired in 2016 to be the Titans head coach, he had been the interim head coach and then he was promoted. He says on this podcast, I was actually hired basically before the GM there. I'm not even sure he's aware of that, but I was hired before he was even hired. So I just wanted to lay out the timeline wow. of this week so you can see how it would be frustrating for the two black candidates who were interviewed. And honestly, anyone who was interviewed. But the idea being when you are a black coaching candidate, you go into interviews wondering if you're the Rooney Rule checkbox checker because sometimes you know, team brass is late to an interview. They don't follow up with references. They don't seem interested in being there. These are all experiences I've heard from black coaches. And this one just really drives it home. So they, so Mularkey says he was hired basically, not officially, but basically hired. So he was picked before John Robinson was, was hired. So John Robinson is hired on January 14th, which is a Thursday. On Friday, Terrell Austin interviews on Saturday, Ray Horton interviews. Ugh. And then on Saturday, Mike Mularkey is announced as the new head coach. And John Robinson sat in on those interviews after he was hired. So if you're those coaches and you're hearing Mike Mularkey say this and you basically you, you now have confirmation that you went on a sham interview. It's just wild to me and I just wanted to highlight that example of this is exactly what black coaches are talking about and why there has been frustration over the Rooney rule. Here was a tangible example. And 
you know, a couple of years later, you, if you're one of those candidates, you're basically getting confirmation of what you suspected at the time. That's just ridiculous. Um, I was talking to a colleague of ours about this, um, and I think that you'll be able to read more about this in the coming weeks, but that, um, you know, one interesting thing that I heard from a, a former NFL coach of color was that, you know, this is sort of this intern season where everybody's trying to get one of these, uh, you know, coaching fellowships, you know, coaching internships, trying to get on a roster um, for the the spring or the summer or training camp. And, you know, what a perfect opportunity um, to give yourself an idea of what you've been missing out on this whole time. You know what I mean? There's dozens and dozens of coaches of color who are out of work right now um, who these these positions are fit, are exactly for this and instead it seems like they're in some places are just going to these uh, you know symbolic things or you know maybe a player that the coach was friendly with that might want to get into coaching one day or whatever and that's all well and good but there are legitimate guys and and the point that the coach was trying to make is you're going to need experienced coaching help this summer more than you will have since the lockout year and before that before you started your head coaching career and you're going to bring in you know people who have zero coaching experience on these minority coaching fellowships instead of focusing on guys who can actually come in and show you that they can do the job and they can actually be position coaches from minute one of training camp they can take care of whatever you need them to take care of and then you get a sense of what you're actually missing out on and have been missing out on for all this time and so um i am hoping that we're going to uh you guys are going to be able to read more about that in the near future um and uh and i'll have more to say and expand on that but it's like why aren't we using the avenues that we do have in place to to make this better and wow i can't believe that timeline it's just that is so frustrating you know and and just it, there's no wonder that there is a um that sentiment among coaches sometimes that they don't even want to go on some of these interviews, you know? That's exactly right. I have heard from black coaches that say they make sure that there had already been another minority candidate so that they weren't just a box checker. But yeah, it's frustrating. I think exactly what you detailed, Connor, I'm really interested to read that. That sounds really interesting. And I think what's important for organizations to do now is like, you can't just do one thing and say, hey, we've addressed diversity. Like it's an active process and just like, you know, I think that was the issue with the Rooney rule or has been is that, okay, well, the rules instituted. So great. We've, we've addressed the problem and that's just one tool. There's like, what's one way to try to address the problem, but there's so many other things that have to happen in tandem with that. And I feel like that's where a lot of organizations are falling short is that they're willing to do one symbolic thing, but not actually put in the work and, take the steps on a small incremental level to make the the long-term changes that we all need to see so absolutely yeah absolutely um well i mean thank you to jenny for making the show awesome as she does every week but specifically this week with the the excellent story again if you guys want to read it the link will be in the show description and i will get back on instagram i've like i was i was all hot and bothered on instagram and then it's like you know it's like 
you know, I just kind of forgot about it for a minute, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to post it on the gram too. So, so if you follow our show page there and, and as always weeksidepod at gmail.com questions, comments, concerns, uh, something you just want read on air. Uh, I could even be like, um, you know, Delilah, do you ever listen to Delilah? Yeah. Oh yeah. You'd be great. You'd be a great Delilah. I love Delilah. Like if you, if you want to give me, uh, you know, just something, if you have a lost, um, I don't know, a lost connection out there or just someone special and you'd like to donate a foot, you know, devote a football take to them. Uh, we're here for that too. So Right. Instead know. of picking a song, you can pick a football take that we'll read. I like yeah. this. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. And I like Delilah. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not ashamed to admit that Delilah rules. I love it. I love it. Well, thanks everyone for joining us. We'll see you next week. The MMQB Weekside Podcast is me, Jenny Rentis, and Connor Orr. We are produced by Shelby Royston. SI's executive producer of podcasts is Scott Brody. Ben Eagle is director of editorial projects and product. Mark Marivic is emeritus executive director of the MMQB. Keep up with our entire lineup of podcasts five days a week by subscribing to the MMQB NFL Podcast for free on Apple Podcasts. And while you're there, please do us a favor and leave a rating and review. It really does help other people find the show, which is also available on Spotify, Radio.com, Stitcher, SI.com, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billy's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like, da, 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 da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it going to, like, that's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you. Because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just $348. With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. <laughs> 